Hi, and welcome to Real Track Talk, or Trail Talk. I am Donovan D'Souza from The Long Ways Better. And I'm Mark Pybus from The Life of Pi. Welcome to episode 47. We have part one of a special New South Wales series that we're going to do. And in the studio, we have Alyssa. Welcome, Alyssa. Hello. Looking resplendent in her dressing gown. <laughs> nice and comfy and toasty. Now, obviously, because I mentioned track, we're talking about something on the East Coast and New South Wales follows the... Taswegian method yes. of naming everything. Yeah. It's a track, not a trail. Yeah, there's no trails there. Um, so part one, we're going to talk about the Royal Coast Track, which is in Royal National Park. Yep. And it is one that is an overnight hike with a campsite in the middle yep. and one that's uh, just received a rather large upgrade. Yeah, so the park has had a lot of money thrown at it recently. And this trail in particular has had $9 million worth of investment put into it. And for a 24-kilometer trail, you can you can see the kind of money that they're throwing in. You know, per kilometer, I think you know it works out to be almost 300000 per kilometer that's pretty good <laughs> yeah um you know i think we i wonder what the cost for the bib would be or the cape to cape here because i doubt it would get anywhere near that high no especially if you're using like prison labor and it'd just be cost of materials and markers yeah but yeah. you could definitely feel the money well spent and people using it and making the most of the really nice facilities yeah. When you were out there. Yeah, because I guess it's it's both that they, I guess they're looking at Tasmania and going, oh, yeah, we can do that. Plus, we're rich. Um, but also that the area has a very high visitor numbers. So they need to invest in making a trail that's sustainable. So mm. there's the, the factor of, oh, well, Tassie's doing really good work. And also that they need to do it for maintaining the sustainability of the trails. Mm. Okay, I guess we get into the logistics of the track. Uh, Royal National Park, kind of where is it in relation to, let's say, Sydney? And what's the history of the park? Okay, so Royal National Park is south of the city. Um, it's sort of just south of the Shire. Hobbiton? <laughs> not, the, not Hobbiton, but there's the area sort of south of Cronulla, yeah. which unfortunately has, I guess, a reputation around Australia for negative reasons, but it's actually a really nice area. Is that the area they made that reality TV show about? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the the short-lived... Was it like the Geordie Shore like, version of Australia? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I feel like I should know about this. I think it was short-lived <laughs> in like the middle of the 2000s. Yeah, I think they tried to do it as like a Geordie Shore kind of show and it just didn't work. Mm -hmm. so should have done you would have loved hikers. it, Alyssa. Yeah, it's something I probably would have watched. Yep. <laughs> so how do you access the track? Is it really easy to get there from the city? Yeah, so, you know, super easy. So one of the great things about, I think, quite a few of these these trails, and we'll talk about it again when we talk about the Blue Mountains, is that access to the trailhead or trackhead <laughs> via public transport is really easy. So if what you do is you catch the train to Cronulla, or in the case of when we were there, the trains were down, so we caught a, an Uber, to Cronulla and then from the wharf you can catch a boat across um, that ferries you to the other side to uh, Bundina which is a little settlement and then it's just a matter of walking to the trailhead which is you know like how long we reckon about a kilometer and a half or something yep, but uphill 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pretty much the you start from wharf level and then you go up. Yeah, but I mean, it's it's not like it's it's a mountain. It's more of a hilly. Yeah, undulation. Which we found out was kind of the theme of the day. Lots yeah, of, as most coastal walks go, you're up, down, up, down, down to the water, up to the top. <laughs> yeah, and then on the other end, as we'll we'll discuss, that it ends in Otford. And again, there's a train that takes you back into Sydney. So you can basically do this if you're a tourist or a local. You don't have to use a car, which is great for a, a linear trail. Because yeah. that's always the challenge is you're there and you go, oh, crap, how am I going to get back? Yeah. But this is, is sorted for you. Yep. And I should also add that Royal National Park is the oldest national park in Australia. Um, it was It's second in the world after Yellowstone. So quite a big claim to fame. Mm. Nice. So from the track head, uh, what, what does the start of the day look like and what kind of terrain are you hiking on? Um, pretty much from the start of the trailhead, you're walking straight up into the coast. You're walking along the coastal cliffs, um, really nicely formed path with different um, like kind of cleared, widened, gravelly path and then a boardwalk that obviously that nine million's really gone to use along mm. the whole walk. Um, nice and easy, kind of along the cliff tops, beautiful views. And I think Don's likened some of the the views along the coast as Calbarry-esque. Yeah. With, um, the way in which the rocks formed, but kind of white, white cliffs, as yeah. opposed to the red yeah. dirt of Calbarry. So rather than that sort of red, you know, outbacky kind of colour, mm. it's more of a cream and, and grey coloured rock, which... Is I guess due to the way that the way the sandstones form, so it's very similar to Calbarry in that it's made from sandstone, but completely different looking because of the color of the rock. And unlike Calbarry, where you get this sort of more sloped cliffs, these are just like straight, very straight cliffs, and very, very much more like that kind of scenery, and very similar to the cliffs in the Blue Mountains, and not like the. Um, the dolerite that you'd be familiar with in Tasmania. Mm. So with the cliffs being so high and also sharp, do they have all the protective barriers everywhere or are you free to roam where you like? Mostly you can, but there is one point which we'll talk about that is with barriers yep. and is frequently ignored and by And I remember people. you and I saying if that we were surprised by the lack of little signs saying be careful about the edge, which we see often... Like if we're walking in Perth and there's yeah. like a notorious kind of crumbly limestone cliff edge, mm. there'll often be a little sign. But we were like, oh, you can just wander as far as you'd like. Yeah. But the, obviously common sense should prevail. Yeah. But none of the, you know, the WA cliff risk area yeah. signs. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's just, I mean, yes, every now and then there may be at, at certain points there was there was a little bit of information. But not at the sort of, you know, in WA, it would be like every 50 metres there'd be a sign. Yeah. So moving on from there, what, what do you expect going further on? So I guess, like, you know, the, the, the day is kind of, as Alyssa said, you know, it's basically coastal cliffs and then it's broken up by a beach and broken up by something. So, but it's a lot of the same, but a lot of the same that's very spectacular. And, you, and there's always just little... When you probably when you're like starting to go, oh, I've, I've seen a lot of the same thing. Something happens, and the first major feature is Water Run. It's called, and it's this bit where 
you you walk down into this section that, and there's a creek flowing across and then the creek flows into a little waterfall and then flows into the ocean mm. and that's really cool you know like it's it's the first so the first bit is all like you know all these cliffs and they look really nice and then you come to this bit where you descend and then a little valley yeah yeah and it was really nice i think there were some free divers there or something like that photographers or people in wetsuits with lots of gear yeah which we did and then they disappeared at some point so we assumed they were fine and that they were doing something <laughs> important yeah um yeah so lots of people on the trail is what i remember is yeah. um, lots of day hikers lot people uh, probably a handful of people we saw that had big packs like ours um, but then also other people doing things like taking photos and diving and yeah, lots of active people out, trail runners, yeah. fishermen. So it doesn't necessarily have to be an overnight hike. You, there's day options yep. that you can do in the area. Yeah. And especially because this leads to, which is the next major feature, which is Wedding Cake Rock. So because of that, you're seeing a lot of day walkers mm. who are, you know, they are there for the gram. You know, they're doing it for the gram. They're not yeah. doing it for I suppose any other reason. Better talk about this. Uh, you had a, a rather negative experience when you were there with the Instagrammers. <sighs> yeah, I did. Um, so I guess, you know, the next thing on the, on the track, next major feature is Wedding Cake Rock. Mm. And when, when we arrived there, you know, first of all, there was music blasting. So not really a serene wilderness experience. Yeah. And then there were people who were on the other side of a fence, who were on Wedding Cake Rock. And the whole thing of why Wedding Cake Rock is not something you're supposed to be on is not just bureaucratic bullshit. Mm. It basically is because it, there's a safety reason, and that is that the the reason why it's white is because all of the iron and all the other stuff has leached out of it, and it's now really brittle. And that could fall into the ocean at any time. And people were standing on the rock taking photos, as a lot of people do if you hop onto Instagram. I don't know why people aren't getting fined because, you know, it's re evidence yeah. of you being there. Um, and people take, you know, their fashion shots there. And we saw people with, you know, like nice clothes being very fashionable on there. And so first of all, they're being very dangerous and reckless with their lives. And then secondly, they were also being extraordinarily selfish because they could see I was waiting to get a photo and they did not care. And they were there for a long time. And they we were, were kind of like hovering around, waiting for the time that they recognized that we, yeah. we were waiting for a while. Yeah. And just looking at photos and like, oh, is this one good? Is this one good? It's just like, come on, you know, don't be so selfish. And there were signs from the get-go from the trailhead warning about risks of at any moment the rock can fall and it, you need to stay beyond the barrier. So... Mm. It's not like you can feign not having yeah. known what was gonna what was gonna come. And it's not just a, a cliff risk area sign, it's like a sign that explains why. So they're you know, they're really letting you know why yeah. this is dangerous. But you know, I my my view somewhat is that if you want to kill yourself by stupidity then you know, I think that that's fair enough. But I won't abide selfishness and you know, that was that was what annoyed me the most. Because, yep. yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, seriously, if it does fall into the ocean, the punishment for your idiocy is, is very yeah. severe. <laughs> severe. Yeah. 
So we had a bit of an angry Don moment here, did we? Yeah. This would have been one of the moments that you wish you had a official license by the New South Wales government to <laughs> um, invoke um, fines. Oh, yeah. It would have been <laughs> With so our fine fun. <laughs> Just give them a fine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Wedding Cake Rock, um, obviously very brittle and very white. Yes. But why do they call it Wedding Cake Rock? Because it looks like a slice of wedding cake. <laughs> it's like it's perfectly square jutting out layered cake yeah yeah and apart from people being selfish did you actually enjoy the spot eh, it's all right you yeah. know like a little overrated <laughs> yeah i think if the barriers hadn't have been there we could have gotten a better angle and viewpoint of it is how i felt yeah and i mean i understand why they're there but i can imagine that in the past you could maybe see it from um an angle that you can appreciate it a bit more. But I think we were so annoyed and then waiting for forever that we were kind of, take the photo, let's go, keep going. Yeah. So we probably didn't give it enough time or couldn't take in the the well, majesty th- of it. I felt that, you know, it just, there, there are so many other parts of the park that are magnificent. And it was just such a shame that really, once you get past Wedding Cake Rock, I felt there was a drop off in numbers of people walking. Mm. And that noticeable difference was just like, oh, okay, you're just here just for the gram. That's all you're for. And it's just such a shallow and vacuous way of engaging with a place if the only reason you go is because you want to get your Instagram photo. Mm. End of rent. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's certainly a a whole lot of that, especially like on the Bilwin where you get certain sections that are really popular and then all of a sudden that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it happens everywhere. Yeah, we did see there was other sections where people popped up again. Obviously, yeah. being near car parks and yeah, like particularly that, like near what, the Watermala Beach. Yeah, yeah, onto there. Um, I should point out that I actually really loved using the app that New South Wales government um, tourism website promoted. Mm. It's not their personal one, but it's they recommended downloading an app. I can't think of the name of it. Was it Avenza? It was an yeah, it was a map app and then it let you access the map that the government had provided you and it was this interactive map that was really great we, even without um GPS it was able to locate us mm. and give us our exact angle and point on the trip trip and then give us exactly what we were looking at. So I recommend to anyone giving it a go to download it and yeah. If, yeah. you, if you like knowing where you are and where you're about to go, mm. which yeah. I'm assuming most people do. <laughs> yeah. I, I guess that, that's another thing to talk about. It's both that the app is really good and the signage is really good on this track because they've, I think they've made it really user-friendly. They know the numbers of the people and I think they're aiming as well for not just the experienced hikers who maybe know what they're doing, but for also people who are, this may be the first thing they've ever walked. Mm. There's a lot of information. It's very hard to get lost, I think, on this track. Yeah. I think we had um, phone signal the whole time. Pretty much, yeah. Pretty much. You're up on the coastal cliff, so you're walking high. And it's New South Wales, so they have money for all this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was heading away from Wedding Cake Rock. Uh, you said that the trail quality declines, but only tongue-in-cheek. Um, it didn't actually get like, you know, unfindable and overgrown <laughs> and everything. Yeah, it becomes slightly less good, but still like really good. Mm. You know, it it um sort of becomes 
slightly for like you know maybe like a, a very short amount of time it's on a vehicle track and then it's on on unsealed you know rough track and then you're back on boardwalk and something that i saw there that was like a, oh okay you really are thinking about the walker experience was that they had a bit of boardwalk a little bit of bush and then real vehicle track they went for ages mm. and they just by separating it it was a better experience and the expedient thing to do would just be let's just put people in the track yeah but they just went no we'll make this a really good experience and mm. just that attention to detail i really appreciated so would it be a vehicle track that's actually used not by the the parks management itself yeah probably it would be used for park management yeah i mean like not recreational vehicles going I along i there. don't think so yeah because that's good because like even if though it's not being used they still think or oh, this isn't just a, a road we can use to expedite the uh the walk yes no uh no marin road style no experience <laughs> which is uh not just a management track <laughs> i should point out yeah um so head down to one of the beaches uh this is where you had a a fortuitous encounter with the wildlife yes i think this is one of the mali beaches there's little mali and mali beach I think it was walking closer to the water. One of the wallabies just kind of popped up and was sitting there eating. And then um, happened to, I think you were trying to take photos of the waves coming around and I happened to get a really awesome video of the wallaby hopping off into the dis distance yeah. with the waves kind of crashing in a really awesome, dramatic way. But you, I think it, we saw, we also saw whales before oh, that yeah, as well. Oh yeah, we saw whales. So you know. The wildlife experience was really good <laughs> in like this area. The other people walking were also commenting on other whales they had seen. So I feel like we had have had have we stopped in another spot for a bit longer, we could have easily seen more whales mm. than that awesome one big whale. Yeah. So I didn't I didn't get a good photo here, but we this is the first of three whale sightings yep. on the track. So yeah, really good wildlife. I mean the fact that we saw wallaby on land. And we saw whales in the ocean. Really good. Mm. And crows as well. There was a crow there. <laughs> but you see crows everywhere. Yeah, I was about to say, it's not really super special. <laughs> and I know you were very keen once you'd shot that uh, wallaby um, scene. Did it actually get go as well as you'd, you'd hoped? In terms of the Instagram fame? Yeah. No, no. no. I, I should have, I, if I stood on Wedding Cake Rock, I probably would have got more likes. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> Or if the wallaby was hopping on, that would have done it. Yeah. Yeah. I still think uh, photographing people plunging to their doom probably would have done it for you. This is the the why you don't do this. Oh, yeah. That would have. <laughs> I, I hate to admit that that would have been a good video, you know, in terms of like a safety video. Yeah. yeah this like is why you don't do it. Like which coming up in the hike, the figure eight pools video that went viral. Yeah. Of people which, just being knocked over. Which is a over. bit of a warning story, which yeah. we'll probably get back to later. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, so leaving Marley and Little Marley, head up into the cliffs again. And this actually looks like one of the more spectacular cliff areas oh, of yeah. the day. Oh, yeah. I think this is where we had lunch. Yeah. It was really smoothed out, kind of almost curvy landscape. And the cliffs are really high for like quite a sustained amount of time. So I think one of the things that maybe isn't as obvious when you're walking it is when you see how tourist-friendly it is, is that the elevation gain 
and you know you're, you're walking from beaches to high cliffs mm. and that's quite a bit of up and down that you're doing over a day but it's always worth it because the scenery is a, a, you know you're rewarded immediately when you're up high and you get to see these you know beautiful high sandstone cliffs mm. there's mm. no way just walking in the forest where you reach the top of a hill and all you see is trees <laughs> yep yeah. yeah get these amazing views and that's where we uh we stopped along there's one stretch where there were a lot of people walking through and we stopped and had lunch and again saw more whales and there was a lot of people stopping there to look mm. at the whales uh so after lunch head away from the cliffs and sort of into lots of forested areas or coastal scrub kind of like a glade yeah <laughs> it's kind of interesting so like at that point you know, we, we are on the cliffs and we're descending down and then we entered this forested area and there was also these kind of large boulders on the side of the track and we were saying, like, you know, Alyssa said, this track has everything! <laughs> and it, it was just such a nice change of pace to see something different. Um, and there was, like, a, you know, a creek that with, like, there was, like, a fake kind of dam so there was a bit of a, a pool beneath for mm. people to swim in um, near Watermola Creek. And so, and I remember was... thinking that we must be getting close to civilization because the amount of people increased, and yes, like just families with kids with nothing, and there was an increase in litter as well. Mm. So I tried to pick that up, but um, yeah, heading to the beach, Watermala Beach, which had um, big car park and toilet block and picnic picnic tables, barbecues. Yeah. And there's like a great view of the beach where the you know the creek is going to, to this golden sand beach, and mm. there's a waterfall that is not very easy to photograph from this point. Mm. But if you walk down to the beach, you could have seen it. However, the coast track doesn't actually go there. I think from then we started heading up. So heading up, kind of, and what I've heard, it's going into Don's favorite territory or type <laughs> of terrain. Uh, yes, it did. Um, you know, let's be honest, you know, I give this track a glowing review, but it was slightly burnt. <laughs> was it as bad as your WA experiences? Though? No, it's, you know, it's, it's, I'll put it this way. I think Coast Heath doesn't look as repugnant as Burnt Jarrah Forest does. Um, <laughs> it looks a little bit more dramatic and in place. Yeah. And it doesn't, you know, it recovers fairly rapidly. So, you know, we saw similar sort of areas of, you know, very dense heath that had been burnt on the Cape to Cape, for example. And it doesn't feel as oppressive as walking through a forest that is all burnt. Because, mm. and especially because, you know, you're seeing coastal views. And as you came around through that burnt area, you got to see that what we were heading to was going to be really spectacular. Because there was the um, there were these coastal cliffs, and there were just waterfalls flowing over the edge of them. And this section actually looks quite nice. And I know Alyssa, you really enjoyed this bit, just walking along the cliffs, got the waterfalls, and then get to kind of a, a weird creek crossing at Karakarong. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Um, just kind of like stepping stones over the rocks, which looks kind of cool in the photos. Yeah, I think they were like cut stepping stones, weren't they? Like squares Yeah. that you kind of skip across. I think obviously put there to make sure you don't get swept away and falling down a cliff face. But um, yeah, very dramatic and beautiful. I really like it. It's one of my favourite parts, I think. 
mm. from the day. And you mentioned Wedding Cake Rock before was kind of not a letdown, but kind of a bit meh. This you thought was much, much better. Oh, yeah. You know, like there was a tiered waterfall where you see bit, bits of it falling down into this um, you know, slightly lower area, and then it falls off the top of the cliff. Mm. Um, that, to me, seems more spectacular than a white rock. <laughs> yeah. And this area not very visit or not visited as much. Mainly because it's not as accessible as Wedding Cake Rock. Still, there was still a lot of people there. I think people from Watermala Beach can do day hikes. So you can choose to walk from Watermala Beach to the next major beach, which has a surf club and quite a lot of people in a settlement there, Gary's. So I think a lot of people would do that section as a day hike. Um, And we did see people day hiking through there. Mm. But I think still not as heavy as back closer to Wedding Cake. Yeah, it's not the, well, okay, I was going to say it's not the grammable place, but we did see people, there was a family with like a baby taking a photo right near the cliff edge, which Ooh. was interesting. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't have necessarily a negative view, um, but I don't have a positive view either. <laughs> it's just a bit of a neutral, like, this is interesting yeah. that you're taking this. I don't, I'm not sure what they were aiming for, but. Were they doing like the Simba? No, not quite that crazy. I think it was more like they were holding the baby and they had like the what the cliffs and you know and the waterfall and. Mm. But I think it would have looked like a beautiful shot. I think yeah. they were just being very. They had to be very careful because it could have been a, a tragic situation. Yeah, they they weren't being dangerous, mm. um, but it was just kind of like an interesting thing because I don't think I would have thought of that myself, but. You know, power to them. <laughs> and then moving on, you get more of the cut steps, which looks like a very, very long section, long sweeping curve of mm. them. Um, another a great Instagram location. And then down to Gary Beach, which you mentioned, that's where there's a surf club and a settlement and you can stop in and buy a drink or snacks or whatever if you're that way inclined. Um, yeah, I, th- I think that maybe you can, but we didn't. We were just keen to get to the other end because... From just before Gary Beach, you could see Gary Beach, and then you could see a hill, and beyond that was North Era where the campground was, and yeah, we just wanted to get to the campground. Yeah. And this is kind of a, a sore point for you for the walk. Given how much they'd spent on the actual track improvements, the campsite uh, left a lot to be desired, didn't it? Yeah. So, I mean, I think before before getting to the campsite, what's kind of cool is it passes through this like um, little village. So there's these old buildings, and do you know? Remember the story, Alyssa? About because you talked to a you talked to a guy who was on the oh, beach. Oh, I think it was um, back in the recession. A lot of people wanted to live off the land, so they moved to the country and set up their little coastal shacks. And when and was this in the twenties? Okay. And then, um, obviously, as because in the twenties was when Royal National Park was made a national park. Um, there was obviously then a dispute about who owned that land, having people on it, living their life. Mm. Um, and I think it was an agreement with the government that they could still have the shack. Um, however, if it was to leave the family's name and in, it, by inheritance, it would have to be broken down and given back to the government. So mm. basically a lot of families, this is what I've been told, or hearsay, um, a lot of families try and maintain and keep that 
little shack in the family by any means. So they're all owned by personal, by families, but uh, there's mm. obviously only certain amount of things they can also put into their shack in terms of modern day conveniences. There's a very limited access to electricity and everything's obviously water tanks. And so it's quite a bare, bare bones mm. little settlement. Mm. I guess it's one of those things that, yeah, people put things in and then sort of at an ad hoc because it wasn't really a formalized thing was no, it no people basically very poor wanted to live off the land so living close to the the sea was great they could fish they could kind of create some crops mm. plenty of fresh water so for them it was great but obviously mm. times passed and times have changed yeah yeah and i think that this part was an extension cuz the national park was originally founded in the 18 18- something or other, mm. for it to be second after Yellowstone. But then they obviously looked to extend it in the 1930s, 20s. and Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think there's something similar around the Bay of Fires. And like They charge them some ridiculous rates, but they're not allowed to do anything and they don't get, actually get anything for their rates. So, yeah. And it's kind of like a, it's nice to have, but it's such an effort to yeah. go through all the hoops and have to um, adhere to everything mm. just to keep that one spot. Yeah. But, but to answer your question, yes. you know, after after climbing up the hill and then to North Era, yeah, yeah not great. Um, the campsite was very flawed. Yeah, it was very wet and muddy. And it kind of felt like it was in the middle. It's it's positioned at the base of a creek running off from, the va- from higher up in the valley. And um, I've been told that further up, if you would have ad- moved further away from the beach and closer inland that it dries out um but we were kind of tired and just wanted to find the best spot straight away we found this spot that was not in between the two toilet blocks that we could see we had to kind of stone hop over a little muddy creek to kind of get this little position and we were kind of in the middle of a fork of a creek so it's like a moat yeah we were joking (laughs) um and it was pretty dry there, I think, because it was quite high up in the middle of the moat. Um, so we were good with that. But um, another downfall, if we have to be negative, was um, the toilet block, not only quite far away, but when you get there, it's um, you have to walk through this muddy marsh to get there. And there's rubbish everywhere. Because clearly people have um, dumped their rubbish, not wanting to pack out. Mm. And then maybe packed it in nice and neat, but then critters have gotten in and ripped and shredded it all out. So it's just kind of scattered around the kind of circumference of the toilet block. Mm. The toilets themselves are great. Yeah, they were nice and they're clean. Like, and they're like Tasmania style, yeah, you know, like kind of raised toilets. Mm. But, you know, the, the To track, get there and yeah. then when you're there, just the surroundings of it was a bit of a bit of a shock yeah you can't really wear camp shoes because it's so inundated and soggy Mm. um and like when you cross the creek on the night on the the next morning yeah went straight into the water yeah i I, because it was very dark still and i thought i had a secure rock but it wasn't and i pretty much stepped straight into the muddy creek in Mm. my pajamas yeah i think the attitude is like the exact opposite of Western Australia. Mm. Trail quality, 100%, campsite, 
really bad. Mm. Um, you know, if you compare that to to WA, where sometimes I, you know, I get really frustrated by how compromised the trail is, mm. but then you can't really complain about the campsites because they're always yeah. amazing here. Yeah. And I imagine because we had to pay to stay there. Yeah, it which is outrageous. Fifteen dollars or a nut per Some, person, something like that, or something yeah. to that degree. Um, and I imagine that's to kind of also maybe dissuade day hikers or tourists from driving in and staying there. Yeah, but I guess you'd so. assume paying some money would mean some facilities being hmm. maintained. Do you think yeah. if it's going to be wet and muddy, maybe some raised platforms yeah. would be better? Yeah. And I'm sure they're heading that way, having invested all this money in the actual walk itself. I hope so. I'm sure it's on its cards and, yeah, future mm. plans. Yeah, but the actual night, it was fine once we set our tent up and had a good sleep. Except... There are, there are deers, <laughs> just for forewarning everyone that I thought I was imagining things when I saw a giant stag walk in the distance <laughs> and Don thought I was losing my mind, but then we he spotted it with me and then all through the night we heard these crazy noises, like noises, like all through the night and... Mm. I was worried. You were worried the stags were going to come and like um, spear you in the stomach. <laughs> <With antlers>. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, there was a little fear of the stags, mm. but um, yeah, they're quite noisy and apparently a pest. Yes. The deer. Yeah, apparently they're you know they're a bit of a feral pest. Mm. Um, I think New South Wales have just gotten around to recognizing them and declaring them a pest. Yeah. Um, but for a long time, I think they were just like, oh, yeah, you know, it's just, it's, it's just deer. different. Yeah. <laughs> um, so day one, um, we didn't cover this at the start, but what, what kind of kilometers are we um, talking about to get to the campsite? Uh, so the first day is 18.1 Ks um, and then another 1.5 Ks for the bit from Bundina Wharf to the, the trailhead. So quite manageable. Um, mm. given the, the coastal walking and the, the quality of the trail then. Yeah, I, yeah. Think, I think we started the actual walk itself around like 9.30, 10 o'clock-ish, and then including a stop for lunch, we probably got to the campsite for 3.30, 4 o'clock-ish. Yeah, something like that. So like it was a total achievable yeah. good mm. day of walking and not getting in too late but not getting too early like it was a decent yeah i think we, we didn't we didn't dawdle too much but we didn't like run it either no know? so we were mm. we were taking our time yeah and you guys did this in the july school holidays so not really like peak sunshine hours out oh, of the day yeah so i mean so the thing was the weather in sydney is really weird so yes the daylight hours thing is an issue but also on the other hand when you look at the rainfall from January to June, it's like heavy rain and then it just drops off. Mm. And then June to December is low again. Yeah. And it's you know completely different to a WA rain where it's the middle of the year's high. So like mm. the days were really nice. Like the weather was sort of low to, low to mid 20s in winter mm. along the coast. So That's pretty good. Yeah. Um, and it was raining when we woke up is your favorite way to pack up a tent. <laughs> yeah, not really. <laughs> Especially in the mud. So with all the worry about getting uh, stabbed by um, deer, did you have a good night's sleep? Yeah, pretty yeah, good. Pretty yeah. good. Yeah. Other than the deer. Yeah. 
But we were in a moat, so I was assuming that they couldn't swim, or at least hop over the <laughs> hop over the creek. Yeah. Uh, so day two, this was a much shorter day at uh, eight kilometres. Mm. Um, how was the packing up of the tent? Not great. Stressful. Yeah, I, I hate it. Um, and also, you know, I think I'm kind of being spoiled by the WA experience of, you know, generally we haven't had to pack up our tent in the rain that many times, have we? No. No. Cause, and, and if we do, normally there's the shelter to go and pack up in. And we didn't have that option. And it's the same as in Tasmania. Most of the hikes we've done, there's been some kind of facility so you can get out of the rain when we have had rain. But there's no such thing. So, you know, we had to take all our stuff out and then pack outside of the tent, which where there's still light rain falling. Mm. Um, and it took longer than I wanted because, you know, we'd have to, have to go in and change the tent and do some stuff and then pack the stuff into the... So it was logistically challenging. So once you were all packed up, um, the weather kind of eased off a little bit mm-hmm. um, and you headed off. What was the start of the day like? Well, we saw the midden. Yep. There was yeah. like this big mound of seashells and different rocks and grass. And it was all um, marked off with a little placard about it being a midden. Yeah, which is um, an indigenous site. So this is where they would have gone and eaten shells, shellfish and stuff like that and traded mm. with other tribes. So it's seen as like a, um, almost like a historical book that references how different tribes would have interacted and kind of lived their life. Mm. And I think from there we kind of go into different um, settlements similar to the one we'd already passed. Mm. And there's quite a few of these kind of scattered along this section all the way through to Burning Palm. Yeah, I guess that's, you know, it gives it a different character to the first day where there's not as many of these. And it feels a bit less wild, but there's a nice, you know, nice historical quality to it with all these settlements. Mm. And I think because we'd set off quite early, and obviously this is the section of the park that is not as tourist heavy. So it didn't feel as busy in terms of people we were kind of coming across mm. as the first day. So for that sense, it felt more isolated. Yeah. 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 Were there many people at these settlements um, in winter? Yeah. I saw one person I in saw the settlements. More, I saw more than one person. I saw a few people through the windows of the houses. Well, I wasn't looking through oh, the people's oh. windows. So. <laughs> they didn't have their blinds closed. You know, uh, like was, <laughs> no excuse, Don. No but excuse. I was, and this was at pace as well. I'm not like I'm going... Yeah, like a a creeper (laughs) just looking at people's windows. (laughs) So further on from these settlements, um, the rain started to kick in again. Mm. Um, Did that make it a different experience or a a bad experience? It wasn't too bad. It wasn't a heavy rain. It was a very scattered light rain, so I don't think it was too... I I think we didn't even bother putting on our rain jackets. Yeah. I think, you know, people... People always think of Perth as being a sunny place, but if you if you lived in Perth, you know what heavy rain looks like. Yeah. And a lot of places on the east coast, their rain, especially, you know, I think Sydney and and Victoria, you know, Melbourne, their rain isn't the same as WA rain. Mm. Yeah, there's more more drizzle than uh, showers. Yeah, for yeah. sure. 
Um, and from the settlements, you start hitting the, the rolling grassy hills. Um, mm. Look very nice and kind of almost looks, I don't know, Welsh or not, uh, like Scottish, Northern England. Yeah. Pastoral. Yeah. Yeah, with the cliffs and everything, it looks like it's yeah. Chris Scottish. Of Dover. Yeah. Mm. You could see that they're doing some track work there that is not just duplicating what's there, but they've gone, do we have the opportunity to make the track even better? Mm. And you could see that they're going more along the coast, so you get more coastal views for more of the time. So it's it's good to see that they're, they're thinking about these things when they make it, and it's not just expedience. Mm. And they're heading into Burning Palms, which... After the grassy area and most of the coastal cliff, you wouldn't think to see palm trees, um, but it is a mm. native species to the area, isn't it? Yeah. When we stayed at North Era, I remember saying to Lissa, we thought that they were introduced, mm. but then they're not. Yeah, you're so used to seeing palms as just being an added feature close to a water source, but yeah, obviously, quite. it was like almost a little rainforest that we stepped into. Yeah, so there's the pockets here, and then later on we had like a sustained section, mm. um, which we'll talk about when we get to it. I think from Burning Palms, there's the they've got their own little community hall, and there was the turnoff for figure eight pools. Yes. Yeah. So this is a, an interesting bit. Uh, tell us about your little off-track uh, exploration, because Alyssa, you decided not to try and explore the uh the figure eight pool area and you left don to yep. go be adventure don yep. yeah i stayed at the sign yeah and let don head off so the thing was that it wasn't very clear and i think that they probably make it so that you will give up because they don't want people there mm. um so a thing to note is that figure eight pools is a ver another instagrammable location but it's probably more dangerous than the wedding cake rock in the sense that not it only is it a case that it could fall into the ocean at any time but at high tide the waves are hitting hitting where the pools are and it has knocked people over and and people have died here like multiple people have died here so what parks have done is on their website they they tell you the tide times and they tell you how high the risk is based on the tide times. Mm. So they have you know, low, medium, high, extreme risk. And I think a, about a week after we were there, I was having a look at the website and it was extreme risk, which is that, you know, basically it's covered with water. It's, you know, very little of the time is it below the waves. Mm. Um, but we knew that if we got up early enough, we would get there for around the time that it would have been low tide coming up to on the way to high tide, but not quite there. Uh, and the risk was at medium. So it wasn't the least risky, but still a bit of a risk. Um, annoyingly, it's not clear that you have to walk along two shelves. There's a one shelf and it looks like maybe there are pools, but there aren't. And I spent ages here trying to find it. I was looking, going close to the edge as well, thinking that maybe it was beneath the water, and it wasn't. Mm. But I was getting close to the edge when waves were coming in. And I nearly gave up. And then, and because where I was, there was no phone reception. And then I went around the corner towards the beach, and I had one bar. So I looked it up on YouTube, and I saw a video of people. And went, oh, no, this is the wrong one. I wasted so much time already. Um, and then I went around the corner... And you have to walk along this 
this narrow shelf and then this pebbly sort of pe- not pebbles but they're large pebbles mm. along the beach and then on the second shelf is the figure eight pools and i think because i was i was a bit annoyed by how much time was wasted i was a bit like is that it <laughs> when i got there yeah. um and look they're, they're okay um but you know you've been to Karajini and they're not as nice as the pools in Karajini. Um, yeah, I'll take your word for yeah. it. Um, you know, it, it, they, they weren't that exciting to me compared to, to that. So, like, the, the fact that people are going crazy for it, you know, yes, they are nice. Mm. They, they're cool looking. It's, it's amazing that they're in the form of a figure eight. Um, but I actually was more excited about the pool next to it that had, had, some, had a fish in it. <laughs> Because I thought that that was really interesting. I was like, "How did that fish get in there?" Yeah. Um, but also, when I was there, the phone reception wasn't great, and Alyssa was wondering what had happened to me. Well, because I had seen him on the platform, thinking that was the figure eight pools as well. Mm. I saw him turn around to go back, and then he didn't come back. <laughs> and I was like, "Um." So I started panicking a little and walked all the way back down the beach, and he wasn't there. So. Eventually, you replied to my flurry of messages. Yeah, suddenly I had like, you know, three or four messages all at once. Don, where are you? Don, I'm getting serious. It's really serious now. Where are you? Yeah. Um, yeah. But you came out. All was fine. Yeah. There was not a, a stern talking to at the end there? Just a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> so now reunited... Um, what is the walking like away from the figure eight pool area? So it's more grassy bits and then you get to the rainforest. And I feel like I remember likening it to the end walk of the overland track where you walk from Echo Point to Lake St. Clair, where it feels kind of like you're following an edge and it's rainforesty, muddy, up and down, following roots Mm. and kind of that kind of style of walking mm. but even more up yeah. Say. <laughs> yeah 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 it was really um it was a little hard going for a bit yeah also it reminded me a bit of queensland yeah any yeah. any kind of rain muddy rainforest yeah. it's that gondwana kind of scenery yeah. mm. Mm. so more of the uh the palm trees that are native yeah yeah so yeah. it kind of looks a bit more natural not just someone stuck a couple here random yeah. palms just to yeah. make it feel like a resort yeah yeah I think it wasn't too long though, and then before we knew it, we were back into like a bushland, yeah, kind of tall trees, walking down a vehicle track towards the Otford Lookout. Yeah, just just as as it transitions, you get to this nice um, this nice viewpoint where you just it, there's a valley just below, and there's all these tall eucalypts, and I think you know people from WA would probably think of like the Boronup Forest, or if you're up on top of one of the the mountains, the Paronga up. So even Mount Hallowell, where you get that nice view of the forest from up high as it goes down, it's that kind of lovely mm. uh, eucalypt forest kind of scenery. Because yeah. we do kind of like Queensland and New South Wales, even Tasmania, probably more so, you get more eucalypt forests closer to the coast, like right near the coast. So mm. it's, it's not necessarily a foreign thing for us to see, but it is kind of, it's a little bit different to see eucalypts so close to the the water yeah for sure it's a bit novel Mm. um she mentioned vehicle tracks and you're almost at um hot way but it does look like it goes through a very nice kind of wet or 
wetter, dry sclerophyll forest. Yeah, I think the trees are kind of interesting here in that they're very, um, you know, a lot of smooth bark eucalypts. So it, I always find that smooth bark eucalypts, if they do get burnt, they tend to just shed their bark. So they're not mm. quite as um, ugly <laughs> as, as like um, rough bark. Go say it. Say it. A certain rough barked <laughs> species of eucalypt that doesn't recover well from fire, um, superficially at least. But yeah, I really, I really liked it. And I think, as you've said before, you know, when when you're walking on a vehicle track through a dense eucalypt forest, it's less of a problem than it is in in other kinds of forest mm. where it's kind of like, oh, this is just a vehicle track, whereas this is like, yeah. This is acceptable. And I found it a relief after walking the muddy root, um, kind of rooty kind of path of the rainforest, mm. where you're kind of really looking at where you're walking and you're thinking a lot about your next step. To get to a clearing where you can just walk freely and not look down at your feet was nice. Yep. I remember this bit as well had the awesome nude beach nearby. <laughs> that is a point of feature. And I can't this, remember the uh... name. The after hours version of the long way is better. Where <laughs> no, um, no, we didn't walk down to it. Um, I don't think you could even see the beach from the top. No, you probably couldn't. that's why it's a nude beach. But also, it's it's, it's not easy to get to because it's a class five walk down to the beach, and it's just steeply down the cliffs. So and you're going to assume you're wearing effort. clothes to wear to do that. Yeah, yeah. that actually might uh, <laughs> weed out some of the normal people who might use the nude beach that maybe probably shouldn't <laughs> well, not shouldn't but like yeah you'd only get maybe fit people down there or young people who can have the knees to yeah get down i guess you know you'd have you'd have to really be i want to be nude you know yeah. like <laughs> <laughs> on a beach yep you really would have to want it <laughs> yeah um, and this is and towards the end of the day, and it's not far yeah, to it's the like train station. A few hundred meters to the Otford lookout, yep. and then you walk to the, the train. Which we found a little harder to navigate from the signage mm. to, the, to the train station. Because like through the streets of Bandina, there were signs telling you where to go. Uh, but here, there, it wasn't as clear that there was like a... a gravel road which is not really on google maps mm. but that's the way you're supposed to go and you follow that road and then as you go along it along it there's a sign that says this way to the station so that's something to look out for if you're doing it i mean it's not not hugely difficult but given how good the signage was otherwise you know one street sign there would be nice mm. what's the train timetable like is it like twice a day, do you really have to rush to to get there, or does I think it, it was run one every frequently? hour? Okay, so it's not necessarily an issue that you have to be at a certain place at a certain time. On weekends, it might be a problem, but on weekdays, because we finished on a Monday, it was fine. Cool. It was quite easy. Yep. Straight on, straight to Central. Yep. Boom. And it's one of the intercity trains, so they're really nice. Yeah, nice yeah. Um, and Central Station ha had a luggage locker, so we were able to leave our luggage up there and go grab it. It's a really convenient for, like yeah. you said, travellers. It sounds logistically awesome, and something like it's a really cool thing, even though it's like a modern train to finish with a train. Yeah, ride back to the start. 
Yeah, I mean, it is an, it is an old train line, you know? So mm. while, yes, you, you are on modern rolling stock, it is a line that's from like, you know, 1800s. Yeah, yeah. that's cool. Um, so a very convenient uh, two-day hike. Mm. Where would you guys rate this in terms of overnight hikes that you've done? I'd say this is a benchmark for yeah. an overnight hike. Top 10, easy. Yep. Top three. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think just glorious views and just a, like the first day was just like the greatest hits of a coast walk. Mm. And then obviously the camping itself was a little muddy, but still clean. And like well, it was mm. nice grassy and lots of space. We should probably mention we had to pack water. There yeah, wasn't a water true. source at the campground. So we made an effort to fill up a bladder and have that as our camp water mm. and watch how much we were drinking through the day and making sure we could fill up for the yeah. next day. So I filled up from some of the creeks because yep. they don't, there's no farmland above them, but I still treated them anyway, as I do even with Bibbleman track tanks. Um, but yeah, it was, you know, I think it, that's the only logistical challenge of it. Yeah. Otherwise it's Very pretty easy. easy. And I think, you know, we, we've had chats about this before about, overnight hikes being feeling a bit like less of a walk than a three or four day hike is. But I wouldn't say that this hike felt any lesser because the quality level was really high. They're suddenly going for like a great walks, iconic walks kind of Mm. a vibe with the quality of the track. And I think that they're succeeding. So highly recommended and easily accessible. Yep. Definitely. Excellent. Um, thank you very much for listening to part one of our special New South Wales um, Long Ways Better Adventure podcast series. Um, I guess we'll be back in two weeks with another episode. Yes, we will. Um, if you had any questions or suggestions for future episodes, uh, please send us an email at realtrailtalk at gmail.com. And if you've enjoyed this episode or any other episodes, or if you haven't enjoyed it and would like to give us some other feedback you can give us a rating on itunes or podbean or any of the other platforms you can listen to us on thank you for listening and we'll be back in two weeks